0: Recovery Elevator, episode 260.
1: I have to choose to be happy because there are some days where I don't want to be happy. And if I let myself continue to follow that, it's not going to end well.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Lisa. She took her last drink on December 17th, 2017. She's 40 years old and is from Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a great interview. You guys are going to love it. And hey guys, registration is now open for the Recovery Elevator live event, Dancing with the Mind, which takes place in Denver, Colorado at the Hilton Garden Inn, Thursday, June 11th to Saturday, June 13th. You'll learn how to create your future alcohol free self that no longer needs alcohol and draw it to you like a magnet in the present moment. We'll be doing live group meditations where you'll learn how to raise your energy in the sweet spot of the present moment. In addition, you'll build those lifelong in person connections with others who don't drink. This event, like all Recovery Elevator events, is going to be fun, and I hope to see you there. Go to recoveryelevator.com for more information and to register this podcast episode is coming to you from hope rehab in thailand where i've been volunteering for the past seven days what is it like here well they use all kinds of treatment modalities such as the 12 steps smart recovery, refuge recovery, mindfulness, meditation, and overall, they have a holistic approach on recovery. While walking around the property, you'll hear a lot of laughter. They have beach excursions, pool volleyball, and they'll show you how to have fun without alcohol. And I wanna mention, I don't have a partnership or an affiliate set up with Hope Rehab. If you do decide to attend treatment here, I don't get a commission. So I wanna be transparent about that. Okay, let's get started. I know many of you guys saw the title for this podcast episode, Moderate Drinking, Does It Work? And you're like, yes, this is the one I've been waiting for for a long time. Okay, here we go. Does it work? Can you return to moderate drinking after a period of abstinence? I'll share some of my experiences with this and share some success stories I've heard. So for almost everyone... When we first begin to question our drinking, there isn't an attempt to fully quit, but many attempts to moderate or control the drinking. This, for many, I know it was for myself, becomes a near obsession, and my goodness, have we heard some incredible moderation techniques mentioned on this podcast. When we dedicate enough mental energy to this, the mind will think of some incredible ways to moderate, justify, or ways that we have earned a drink. Many of these bring the hand to the forehead. You've heard me ask nearly every single interviewee on this podcast, did you ever attempt to moderate and place rules in place? I think all of them have said yes to this question. And to be honest, listeners, for the first 60 or so interviews, I was hoping to hear one that might work for me as well. I always had my pencil and notepad ready. So before we address the issue of does moderate drinking work, Let's flip the question for what this really is. Instead of asking yourself, are there strategies or ways to successfully moderate, ways that I can still have alcohol in my life without the wheels fully coming off, or what rules can I implement where I only will have a few and then wake up the next day and get all the yard work done or hit the gym, can I have my best friend alcohol in my life and still lead a happy life? Can I have my cake and Pop-Tarts too? No, that's not how it goes. Can I have my cake and eat it too? That's it. So I think the more appropriate question is, ask yourself if you'd only like to moderately heal or become halfway whole or build 50% of the inner peace you'd like to have. Do you want to only moderately become more emotionally intelligent? Do you want to moderately heal the trauma that alcohol has been used to cover up This is like doing half the yoga poses in a class, or stopping the timer halfway through your meditation, only running 2 of the 4 miles in your scheduled workout. The question isn't, can I still have alcohol in my life, but it's do you want to be a moderate version of your authentic self? or Do you want to moderately build altruistic connections with others? Or do you want to partially or moderately find out who you really are? Only part way get to know the true you. Or release only a little bit of the emotions that have been holding you back in life. So we can have a lot of fun with these questions and go on for days, but I think you get the point. It's not a question of can I moderately drink, but how much healing do you want to take place? So those are perhaps the more applicable questions to ask. Once you become clear on what the question really is, the answer will always be, of course. You like to heal 100%. Of course, you want to be the most authentic, powerful version of yourself without moderately suppressing that with poison. Then, of course, you'll realize alcohol isn't in line with that goal. If you want to fully build that inner peace and be able to roll with the punches that life throws your way, then moderate drinking isn't an option. Because here's what happens. The moderate drinking plan is going dandy until life doesn't throw a punch your way, it throws a full on haymaker your way, and the moderation component of the plan gets thrown completely out the window. Then, you're not back to square one, you're actually in a worse spot. So are there any success stories of moderate drinking? Sure, I've heard tons. I just haven't heard any that I've worked in the long run. I even thought I found one of a legit return to moderate, controlled drinking. It was with a gentleman I deeply revere, who after staying away from alcohol for quite some time, who had dedicated his life to yoga, to mindfulness, to meditation, who swore that he completely rewired his brain through these practices, he began to drink again, with impunity. And I'll be honest, I even said to myself, interesting, maybe I could. But I quickly squashed that thought. My life is so much better without alcohol. Why even mess with that? Well, sure enough, about eight months later, this gentleman reached out to me when he got out of treatment and he said, Paul, I'm done with alcohol for good. I even recall hearing a couple years ago of a moderate drinking course, a program and an online community similar to Recovery Elevator and Cafe RE. I then heard the founder went off the grid for quite some time later to resurface saying moderate drinking didn't work for this person either. Again, I've heard several successful stories where people have returned to moderate drinking, but the success is always finite, as it was for myself and countless others. For some, especially if binge drinking was part of your story, there are some permanent changes in the brain that will make any attempts to moderate drinking difficult to near impossible. During bouts of binge drinking, the liver will create an enzyme called THIQs, or tetrahydroisokinolines, which will then be deposited into the brain. These find permanent residency in the brain and will make it incredibly difficult to near impossible to stop drinking once someone has started, even if you've been away from the booze for quite some time. This is why some people pick up right where they left off after a significant amount of time away from alcohol. So listeners... I'm sorry if I took the wind out of your sails with this episode. That you were listening in hopes there was a sequence of steps or strategies you could try to moderately drink with success. I personally haven't found one. And once someone has recognized they have a drinking problem, I haven't heard of a long-term success story from them either. I'll keep my experience with this short. Myself, like many of you, tried hundreds of ways to successfully moderate and it didn't work. But here's the good news. I remember how liberating it was when moderate drinking was just off the table. How much mental energy was freed up when I stopped dedicating thoughts toward this. And studies show small decisions and big decisions take the same amount of brain power. Once I made one decision each day, which was, I'm gonna do my absolute best not to drink today, things got so much easier. I had so much more energy in the brain. It's a bit of a paradox, I know, and there are countless of them on this journey, but it's as if you've gained so much power when you give up thoughts of moderate or controlled drinking. When I quit trying to moderate my alcohol consumption, I became stronger. I know, it doesn't make much sense, but let's roll with it. So before we conclude this topic, I want to throw one more thing out there. I want to keep this podcast joyful, positive, and never do I want to encourage you to ditch the booze out of fear, but we are dealing with the most dangerous drug in the world called alcohol, one that kills more people every year than all the other drugs combined. Do you want to moderately fuck with this? Do you want to moderately hang out on the precipice of a cliff when a gust of wind could come at any moment? Do you want to jump in the Amazon River infested with piranhas with an open cut on your hand? Okay, that last one was a little dramatic, but you get the point. And listeners, I'm curious. I want to hear from you guys if you all have come across a strategy to moderately drink. I'm not saying humor me. I'm saying seriously, if you have found a way to moderately drink, shoot me an email. Info at recoveryelevator.com. And guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've loved putting it together like always. And before we hear from Lisa, let's hear from today's sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart and growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Codable co-founder Gretchen Huebner experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company, but then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference, and you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then find the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified applicants so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com forward slash elevator. That's ziprecruiter.com forward slash elevator. E L E V A T O R. Lisa, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you, Paul?
0: Lisa, I am doing great. Let's get right into this one. When was your last drink?
1: My last drink was on December 16th of 2017.
0: Yes, and right now we're recording this on December 18th, your time, the time zone, which I still can't wrap my head around. For me, it's December 19th. I'm in Australia. That was yesterday. How does it feel to have two years away from the shit?
1: You know what? I know that life is good and it's better than whatever it used to be like. One day in sobriety, even a bad day in sobriety, is still way better than my best day when I was drinking when it got close to the end. So yeah, it's it feels good to be here.
0: And I just saw one of your posts. It said, pretty rude that I have to feel things now that I'm sober, but okay. <laughs> I love it. And before <laughs> nice. we get into your story, learn more about you, what are you feeling right now? What is something that you're having to feel now that you're sober?
1: You know, the holidays are quickly approaching. And I'm feeling like, when I say emotions, it's like, I mean, I can go down the little rabbit hole, I call it of like loneliness, a little bit of sadness, a little bit like, gosh, like, this is where I'm at at two years. And like, okay, you know, and I expect things that maybe weren't there, or that I thought were gonna like not be there. I don't know, like life looks Life is really good. Okay, I shouldn't I shouldn't start off with that. But I mean, life is really good where I'm at. At the same time, with the holidays approaching, I just I find myself getting into a little bit of a rut sometimes. And uh, with being sober, I have the tools to get out of that. But it's a work in progress. I mean, every day is a step of faith and like choosing joy and choosing to not drink. Yeah, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and before we get into your story and more about you, when you say choosing faith, choosing joy, choosing to be sober, cover that a little bit more. What does that mean for you?
1: Um, It means that every morning before my feet hit the floor, I would like to say I get on my knees and pray, but I usually just lay in bed and pray because that takes too much work and it's cold in Minnesota, so (laughs) I'm not quickly out of bed. bed's
0: more comfortable, right?
1: It's way more comfortable. At
0: least put your knees on the bed. (laughs)
1: I could, but the goal is to not fall back asleep when I do that. But like my alarm goes off (laughs) and I, and then I, you know, I wake up and then I'm like, all right. And then I just, I say a quick prayer to God to help me with my day. And if there's anything like right on the forefront, you know, I got to I kind of, I have to give that up. It's a surrender and every day is a surrender. And then, so I have to choose that faith. I have to choose that. I have to choose to be happy because there are some days where I don't want to be happy. And if I let myself continue to follow that, it's not going to end well. And then my daughter, who um, she's 18, she likes to notice things and she likes to be like, hey, mom, you're acting like this. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want to be that person. And she's nice about it most of the time. So I'm like, okay, like I have to do that shift. And yeah, so I said faith and I said joy. And then did I say sobriety? Yeah, I have to choose to not drink. And I, I get to not react to what I think is a problem. But straight up, a lot of times, my problems are not problems. They're just parts of life that I get to choose to either deal with in a good way or in a possible negative way.
0: And listeners, we're going to get to Lisa's story of how she got here. But there's one more thing I want to comment on before we start is you said there are some days you wake up and you want to feel unhappy. I know a thing or two about that. Right around year two and a half, I had a light bulb moment. I said, wait a second, Paul, we are fighting a happy life. It sounds strange to say that but part of the struggle, the depression, the anxiety was the norm. And I was able to detach with awareness and see that from a new perspective and say, whoa, wait a second. I'm fighting a happy life. Is that something similar with you? Or what does that mean when you say you wake up and you just want to be unhappy? Is that because it's familiar? That's the norm?
1: Yeah. Like I will literally, like sometimes I'll have these like like light bulb moments. And I'm like, I am, I'll be sitting on my couch and my daughter will be gone and it'll be quiet. And sometimes I don't do so well when it's too quiet and I'll find myself crying or upset. And I'm like, I'm happy here though. Like I'm choosing, I'm not really happy though, but like I'm choosing to sit here on my couch and feel this way. And this is a comfort zone for me, but I was so in that comfort zone of being, of being sad and crying and feeling sorry for myself. For so many years when I was drinking that it's almost like it's really easy to fall back into that behavior. And that's what two years of sobriety like or like maybe this was like at a year and like 10 months. But it's like I think of that and I'm like, wait a second, like this is a bad habit. This is a bad and I don't want to say a bad habit, but this is a habit that I used to have all the time. So now when it creeps in, I mean, sometimes it straight up pisses me off. I mean, and it's like, why am I doing this to myself? And it's comfortable for me. And, and it's a process to work through that.
0: Lisa, it's only five minutes into this interview. You went deep. You've already been dropping value bombs left and right. And I just want to make one more comment before we begin, shall we say, is what you just said. Sometimes when you sit Right, And I love interviewing people that are way ahead of where I was at. at this, and when, when I was at two years in, in my journey, you're way ahead where I was. In fact, when I th- said it, it was about year three and a half when in a moment of stillness, when I, was, when I was observing the thoughts, the emotions that was going on through me, and it's always in these moments of stillness without thought, that's when the light bulb moment came and it was just like a voice that said, boom, holy shit, Paul, and I knew it, that I was fighting a happy life. And I know it sounds so strange to say that, but like you said, that's the norm. That's the comfort that's the routine. And I've been challenging those thoughts and slowly stepping out of of that comfort zone. That was a year and a half ago. And my life looks drastically different. In fact, let me look left right now. I'm seeing a beautiful coast about 60 kilometers. Why am I saying kilometers right now? I read that in a brochure of beautiful ocean sand uh, in Australia. And I made dramatic changes in my life to challenge the old chemicals that were going through my body to challenge those thoughts of depression and anxiety. Yes, I'm so glad we've already gone in such a fun direction with this interview. All right, let's get to know a little bit about you, Lisa. Give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun?
1: All right, so I am from the Midwest. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I think I already said it's cold, so it's cold up here right now. I have two kids. They are 21 and 18. My son just turned 21, and... I've been um, a single mom for 13 years, so there's that part too. And what else? I'm a registered nurse, and I actually do I do patient care part time, and then full time I do education. So I stand in front of class and teach people how to be nurses, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's fun to share really good no- the knowledge that I do know with people. For fun, I go to the gym, and I and I love it. Like I'm learning. I've learned to love it. I, I read a book called The Right Question. I've read a book called The Right Questions by Debbie Ford. And, and it's just it really helps me get some of good um, habits that I know are going to help me. I used to exercise out of, oh, I feel bad about myself. So I'm going to go and do this because then I won't feel bad about myself. And now I go and exercise because I, it helps me feel better and it releases those endorphins, those good feel good things. And so it's a spin class I do and a warrior sculpt class. So that's really what I like to do for fun. And then when it's, when the weather is nice, I like going outside for walks and I like to go hiking. So yeah, that's a little bit about me.
0: Love what you said about the gym. You used to exercise because you felt bad about yourself or maybe out of fear of where your life was going and now you do it because it sounds like you love yourself. Absolutely love that. And one question before we get into your journey is as a nurse, I read a stat one time that 60% of hospital beds are occupied directly or indirectly from causes of alcohol. What do you see the wreckage of alcohol is causing society in the hospital?
1: Well, a lot of times with the alcoholism, it's a lot of it is so is associated with like with a stigma with mental health, and so we have untreated depression, untreated anxiety, untreated other like more like more in depth uh, mental illness like your schizophrenia and stuff like that, and people treat it with alcohol versus taking their medicines because it's a quicker fix. Maybe they don't even know the education part of it, but also it's cheaper. To drink than some of the medications that patients can take and it's an ongoing issue so like we see in the hospital that patients will come in and they might be being seen for like i don't know a broken leg for instance i mean maybe they're not gonna be admitted for that i'm gonna say a cardiac thing like a heart problem they're gonna come in for a heart problem but then you're gonna notice like what does your drinking look like or there somebody's bringing them in alcohol like something along the lines of that can happen and it's just it's really sad. And it's like and then it's like, OK, get it. We have to get order and assessment for them. And I don't know. we it, It's all over the place. It doesn't just have to be in the hospital. It's it's really all over. And it's really it's kind of sad.
0: It is sad. So, yeah. And it's directly and indirectly is what puts more people in those beds. OK, Lisa. Give listeners some background about your drinking. Now you've got two years away from the alcohol and I definitely want to focus a significant amount of time on this interview to the time you've been away from alcohol, but take some time to get us up to speed. When did you first recognize it was a problem? Did you attempt to moderate and how did you do so? Did you have a rock bottom moment two years ago? Let's hear
1: it. All right. So I always like to drink. I, dr- I like drinking from the age of 14 and I wasn't really like, A huge drinker but whenever I could drink I did and then it was always like let's just get let's just get wasted but then when I was 27 I was newly divorced with two kids I came out of a very unhealthy relationship and I was really sad I had my self-esteem was super low everything about life was just not good and I moved in with my parents with my kids and my parents loved me and they wanted to help me so I got to go out as much as I wanted and that's when i started really drinking and that was at 27 and then you know fast forward ahead to we'll say 36 no 37 is when i quit drinking so at the age of 37 in like in august of 2017 it was my birthday month and i just remember my birthday weekend it was the end of it was at the end of august and it was it was i the minnesota state fair has a lot of my money and that is because of all the <laughs> I did, the things i bought when i was drinking i mean as soon as i'd get a beer i'd get back in line for another beer i mean the lines were horrible i would say it started in august and that is also the time that my son left for college and so i have a little bit of empty nest syndrome going on not looking back i'm feeling sad i'm crying a lot i'm drinking every weekend I don't remember a weekend my last year of, in my last year of drinking, I don't remember one weekend that I didn't have at least one blackout. So that was in August of 2017, my birthday weekend, and that kind of was a snowball for October and then November. November. And then my last month of going out, every weekend was a bad decision. I never had any legal problems. Well, wait, I did have some legal problems, but never a DUI or anything like that. It was like more like an ex-boyfriend thing. But those decisions were directly related from me choosing to drink and overlook things that were going on. But that last month of drinking, I was drinking and driving. I was hanging out with people I would never usually hang out with. It's like, we say those, we draw those lines in the sand And we keep going over them. And my lines were disappearing as quick as I tried forming them. And then in December, December 17th of 2017, I had, I just kind of had a moment and I was up North with my sister, my twins. I have an identical twin. I was up North with her and I looked and it was a day of a really bad hangover and really bad. Like I, I was throwing up and I don't, wasn't usually much of a puker, but I was this day and I looked at my sister and I said, I, I'm really done this time. And I and I say that because I had talked about quitting, but I never did. And I just looked at her and I said, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. So we were up north at, a, at the convention center. And I say that because it holds significance for six months into recovery. Um, we were up at the convention center at a light show called Bentleyville. And she goes, OK. And I, it, it was like just telling her that was so freeing. And um, that was December 17th of 2017. And within a week I had like, I called a girlfriend and I went to, um, she was in AA and she took me to three meetings by the end of the week. And right away I was just kind of in it and I I didn't want to go back. So that's that.
0: Lisa, let's back it up to those lines in the sand. And I know that resonated with a lot of listeners. I know I personally drew hundreds, if not more lines in the sand that said, look, I'm not drinking alone. I'm not drinking before this time. I'm only drinking three days a week. In fact, I've got a calendar on my wall where I'm keeping track of this for me to be accountable. All those lines in the sand were crossed. Now, was there a couple lines that stood out for you that when you crossed, you said, wait a second. This needs to be addressed someday, somehow. And did you find yourself wondering how?
1: Right. You know, I said I was, so I said I would, um, I drink and drove, but one of the, I mean, whenever, when I say I was, I would, I liked to say I'll be sober cab. And that meant that I was going to have three or four, maybe five or six. And then I would just be the one to drive us home. And, and I do live further out from the city, about 25 miles and, And one night I was out with a girlfriend and I said I would drive home and, and I did drive home. And then we ended up with people at my apartment after because I wanted to invite strangers over. I was pretty known for that. Nothing bad ever happened to me, Paul, like nothing bad ever happened to my house something's taken care of me with some of the decisions I I made with that. Um, I was known as the woman who would let's go out downtown uh, with with all the girls and stay in a hotel. And I would show up at like 4am because I disappeared somewhere. And then I'd always end up back where I needed to go. Like, these are things that I did, but my very last night of drinking, I called my son for a ride because he was home from college and I called him for a ride. And he was like, mom, I've, I've had a couple beers with, he was hanging out with some friends and, um, he goes, I've had a couple of beers. And I said, I don't care. You can come and get me.
0: Wow. What did he say?
1: And he was like, uh, no. And then I got a phone and then I got a phone call from my twin sister about 10 minutes later. And I was walking home from an after party in the middle of winter. And she called me and she's like, where are you? And I said, I'm walking to Denny's. And then I hung up. I don't I don't remember much of this, but I remember I remember calling my kid. And I remember that those words coming out of my mouth. And then I remember my sister pulling up and me going, how did you get here? But I guess I told her I was walking to Denny's and she came and picked me up and dropped me off at home. And, and yeah. And so like, that was, that was the biggest line. I mean, I mean, there's all these things that could have hurt me in the past and being around people and all of that. But the one thing was, you know, telling my son, I don't care if you've been drinking, come and get me. I mean, that's selfish. And that's what the disease led me to. And, and that, I think that may have scared me the most.
0: So the next morning, you, you mentioned you, you, you threw it out there plenty of times, I'm, I'm done drinking. Was there a different consciousness when you were able to look back at the drinking in totality? And we call this the moment of clarity and I've, I have consistently hear it with interviewees. I went through it myself when I was able to, I was able to look back at everything almost like I was watching a movie and I was no longer emotionally attached. Is that somehow... Yeah how you felt the next day. You said, look, I can see all this stuff. I'm so lucky that something negative hasn't happened yet. Um, Was there a moment of clarity, shall we say?
1: Yes. So super quick. I, I went up North with my sister that day for that light show and I was hung over and I puked the entire way up in the car and she actually suggested leaving me at a gas station to have my kids come and get me halfway up because she didn't want me in her car. But she brought me with anyway. And I say that because it was it was that bad. But when we got up north and we got to the light show, I got out of the car and it was getting dark out. And because we were at a Christmas light show and I was we were just walking up to the convention center and I saw the name convention center. And I just looked up at the lights and something just came over me. And I looked at my sister. And this time when I said I was done, I believed it. I I, something in me just believed it. And I really love Christmas too. Like that's always been my favorite holiday. I don't know if that resonated with me because then we walked through a beautiful light show. And I just remember the entire walk going through that Christmas light show outside and it just being so beautiful. And I just felt my spirit be lighter. And this is within, you know, an hour of saying I'm done drinking. It's like that feeling of just release It's like it happened and I don't even know how it happened. It just did. And it's beautiful.
0: Lisa, we often hear the moment of clarity and instantly put on some breaks and say, oh, this is a divine statement. This is too mystical or too woo-woo. What is this? But we're a cool moment in history where science can actually explain what this is. And I talk about it uh, maybe 20 episodes ago. With, with Newton's third law of energy here. This is where there's a tipping point that happens. And imagine a seesaw. This moment of clarity is when the seesaw goes flat. When we're drinking, the energy around that addiction is so strong. But then when we initially have the thought we need to quit drinking, there is an opposite force that starts acting upon the energy around the addiction. And with the external pain, the emotional bullshit that we go through, this desire to quit drinking starts to gain momentum. There's an actually energetic pattern that if you were to put on atomic scale, you can measure both the energy of the addiction and the energy of your desire to quit drinking. And this moment of clarity is when the seesaw tips, it's flat and we all go through it. We just hit this moment where there's this peace, this calm. And we believe it we know it's going to stick and that's what's happening scientifically and spiritually this moment of clarity is, is explained scientifically it just tips and it doesn't mean that after that it's all sunshine and rainbows um, but right. you're no longer at a, a, at a disadvantage with it you're more than 50% even if it's 50 point zero 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 one percent greater than the energy around the diction you're still moving in the right favor and it's important to recognize that it's not it's not all down downhill after that you still got to keep the momentum going because we still live in this world where the same bullshit can happen at any time but that's how the moment of clarity can be explained scientifically now Lisa there's a major well actually let me ask this question first who would you say you're closest to in life
1: my identical twin sister Lynn
0: okay that's what I was that's what I was thinking Now, there are some major concepts on the podcast you've heard, and a big one is community. But what first has to happen, and this is usually in this sequence, is we have to burn the ships. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like what puts you past the tipping point at that moment was when you came out to your sister. And I imagine you've had conversations with her before. said, I want to quit drinking, but it sounds like you burn the ships on that on that ride up when she says hey there's a gas station can i just let you off here so you don't throw up any more in my car your family can get you you probably burned the ships at an energetic level that you've never done before that even got to your your sister's soul and she right. knew that you were done and then that inevitably leads to to community and so what role has your sister played on this journey
1: you know lynn She's just been amazing. Her name is Lynn. I can say that she's just she's awesome. she's um she's also sober. She's one year sober. Yes, and yeah. but um, this is what's cool. I mean, this is her story. I don't want to say too much on that part, but like she has played a vital vital role. when I was three months sober, I remember calling her on a Friday night and it was like ten, eleven o'clock at home, and I was just crying. and I didn't know what was wrong, but I was like lonely. I was definitely pre- having some cravings. I knew I wasn't, I knew I didn't want to go drink, but, and I knew I was, I felt kind of just stuck in my house and I called her cause she was on her way home from work. And I said to her, I said, and I was just telling her how I was feeling and these cravings. And she had previously quit drinking for 11 months and she had started drinking again. It was the timeline seems a little bit muffled, but when she like, so she was still, she had quit drinking in like 2015 for like 10 or 11 months. And then she had our, and then she had like started, you know, drinking a little bit here and there again. And I called her and mind you, I'm three months sober and she is still drinking. And she said to me, she goes, if I were you, I would never come back out here. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Wow. And so like that, I remember sitting in my closet crying and her saying that. And like, that was just like one of those, like. That I, I might talk about that the rest of my life if I share when I share my story, you know, like it's just cool.
0: And listeners, that's a raw moment. You're three months away from alcohol, which many people they imagine that life is just going to be again all sunshine and unicorns. But you're three months away from alcohol. You're in your closet crying. You talk to your sister. I mean, that's a huge craving or roadblock or, or, or hurdle. You made it through. And you you needed assistance, right? I mean, like you said, you will always remember that moment.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's important to have, it's important to have numbers to call and not text call because, you know, our words are only 7% understood. Our voice tone, I think it's like 30 some percent. You know, it's like words are great, but the voices are so much better and they're more meaningful. So, yeah.
0: So, words are great, voices are better and also mm-hmm. action energetically yes. speaks Body. the loudest. Yes. you got it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and even when you're not in the same room, so I'm guessing, I don't guess, I know, that a big part of your, your sister Lynn, one year away from alcohol, has a lot to do with you, with your decision to push past the blockages in your life to face your biggest fears, because that's what this is, guys, we quit drinking, and like we started off the podcast episode, let me pull up uh, that meme again, pretty rude that I have to feel things now that I'm sober. So the Mm -hmm. courageous decision that you made to now feel things at face value that are no longer being tampered down with alcohol, that has an energetic effect to the people that are closest to you. And I can guarantee it, well I don't guarantee it, but if I asked Lynn who's the person closest to you, she'd probably say Lisa. And Mm -hmm. I saw this with episode 204 when interviewed Dusty. Within a matter of months, half of his family quit drinking and some of them he didn't even have contact with. It's just simply knowing that you're all connected via some dimension, right? And the thinking mind struggles to put this into words. And some of the biggest hurdles that I've chosen to overcome recently in the past year, other members in my family have also surpassed them. And I have not spoken to this with my members of my family about this. I mean, some crazy things that are happening that's kind of becoming the new norm. And talk to us more about how you did it, Lisa, in the first month, first two months. It sounds like the 12 steps is a part of your program. Um, You're also a member of Cafe RE. Thank you so much for being in. I think it's team blue. Talk to us about how you did it. What's working for you?
1: Uh, What's working for me? So I I work a 12 step program. I I have a sponsor and really early on that was, it's always important. I'm going to say that. But early on, it's important to to get to know people. I would go to meetings and I my sponsor would always say, ask people for phone numbers. And I'm like, I don't want to. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) But I would look for people that had smiles on their faces. I mean, straight up, if a woman looked like she was kind of a bitch, I wouldn't go and say hi to her. I don't want to be like her. Like, you know, they say, you know, it's so I met some of my best girlfriends. One girl, her name is Anna. I She shared her story and she also shared a little bit about her faith. And then I kind of came to the conclusion that we kind of shared the same kind of faith, you know, forward slash higher, higher power kind of thing. And um, after the meeting, I walked up to her and I said, hi, my name is Lisa. Do you like Christian music? Because that's what I like. And, um, and it was so dorky and it was like, I was in elementary school again and she has become one of my, one of my best friends. So it's little things like that. So finding people, finding people that, that look nice, I hate to say look nice. I'm from the Midwest. We do things like that, but if they look nice, they probably are. So I, I got, I did that. I, um, I volunteered at a lot of events. If I was asked to do something, I did it. I set up chairs at a meeting for a year and a half every single Saturday morning at 8 30 a.m. I sleep in now, but that's what I did at the beginning. And I still do other commitments as well. I love it when we bring meetings into a detox. Going in and visiting the individuals at the detox what I love about it is they are, they are open and they are raw and they want people to just love on them. I mean, you know, we got to like, you know, obviously, you know, behave ourselves when I say that, but like you get to love on people and you just get to be there and care for them because just like that, I could be where they're at. It may, may sound a little selfish, but it's a good reminder where I don't want to ever have to go. So the detox meetings are a big thing volunteering and then really surrounding yourself with friends that don't drink. And I say that not to off put any of my other friends that that were still drinking because I was the one with the problem and anybody else's drinking habit is none of my business. But I needed to surround myself with people who had the same values. I hate to uh, yeah, values and life goals and pretty much a a sober mindset that I had because that's what I needed in life. I, I couldn't have somebody who would ask me to go have wine because I love wine. Only I liked it too much, you know, so it's like little, it was really just getting, getting in the middle, they say, but also just not, not going places where I know where triggers are. Like my daughter still worked up at a little bar in town. It was called Cowboy Jack's. It's a restaurant. And when I went to pick her up, I wouldn't go in. I didn't go in because I didn't, I knew that it would be a trigger and I didn't want to go there.
0: Lisa, wants to unpack. And I want to go uh, and I know what you're focusing on here is there's, you got to be cognizant of the places not to go. But as you mentioned earlier, words are just a fraction of communication actions or more. You're mm-hmm. going towards smiles and listeners. That's a big value bomb right there. Go, go towards the smiles in sobriety. And actually, quick life hack, and I hate that word life hack, but if you're going through something uncomfortable, smile. The parasympathetic nervous system doesn't know the difference between a fake smile and a real smile. So A, smile yourself, but B, be on the lookout for smiles. Now, if you're in these 12-step meetings and you hear somebody say all the right things and they're going to throw in their sobriety date at the same time, but you haven't seen them smile once that day or the previous 35 meetings, well, there's probably not a lot of smiles or sunshine in their life. So what Lisa just said, go towards the smile. And Lisa, (laughs) I have a feeling, and I don't have a feeling, I know you are full of smiles, because I can back this up. I had the pleasure of meeting you in person at the Minneapolis meetup uh, about a month and a half ago, Mm -hmm. and you didn't attend the full weekend, but when you did attend, you were all smiles. You didn't stop smiling, which is probably why we ended up chatting a lot, because I myself, I go towards smiles. Talk to me about how important smiles are in your own life and and share your experience at the meetup.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So smiles are just important. I, I'm, I'm a happy person and I, I want to be around. I, I mean, I want to be, we always want to be around happy people. I feel like negative people still want to be around happy people, but like, it's important to like, I don't know. I mean, you know, you see those memes that say, find your tribe. I mean, it's true. You need to find your tribe and you need to like, you know, find the people that are happy along with you. The meetup, I'm going to get right to the meetup. The meetup was one of those things. I walked into a room and I was so nervous and I don't know what I was so nervous about. I'm, I'm out. I feel like I'm outgoing. I'm social, but walking into that room with like 30 people who I've never met besides online, behind, beside, behind a screen, you know, we can hide behind screens sometimes. And, and walking into that room and being like am i going to know anybody am i not but you know i was like before i walked in i i took a deep breath and you know and i i said a prayer as i was walking cuz I, I i i've noticed that i don't always take the time to sit and pray like for long periods of time but i am definitely like a prayer a, a talker to my higher power on the fly because that's the way my brain is working sometimes most of the time and when i walked into that room i was just like i saw chris he's got like the softest spirit i've ever seen and i ever i have ever felt you know like you just see him and you just can feel it and then you know so i, I saw chris and then i saw you and i was so i was just i i listened to your podcast since like i think it was the first month of sobriety my twin sister introduced me to it oh wow and it oh. was just yeah it was cool and um And so seeing you, I was just like, yeah, I I don't, I don't know if you remember, but like I walked right up to you and I'm like, Paul Churchill. And you're like, you gave me a hug and you go, who are you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do. And you mentioned Chris. He was episode 175. He's six foot eight and the kindest soul. And you know what? He's also full of smiles, um, yeah. and like energies attract like energy. And earlier you said, you know, even though negative people, of course, on the surface level, you'd ask them unhappy negative people. Yeah. I want to surround myself with happy people. And, and I think I do that but energies like other comfortable energies. And I've been to some AA meetings where yeah, the people are sober, but there's a lot of negative and uncomfortable energy in the room. And there's nothing wrong with that actually. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but keep going to an AA meeting until you find the vibrational match, which feels best for you. And for me, I define one where there was more smiles. And at these Cafe RE events or meetups or recovery elevator meetups that you don't have to be part of Cafe RE to to go to these meetups. We've got one tomorrow. In Brisbane or the Gold Coast area, we're going surfing in the morning, and then we've got uh, we're doing dinner on the beach at a pavilion. It's just going to be full of smiles. And you've you've commented earlier on the importance of community, and I fully agree with that. That's a huge one. But we first have to get honest with ourselves and hit that tipping point where we have the moment of clarity. We burn everything. We burn the ships, and we know after that it's it's game on. There's no looking back. Um, And Lisa, I want to I want to chat with you. You just hit two years, and first off, sweetheart, I want to say nice job, and, and can you just sit with that for a second, and regardless of what you're feeling, and recognize the, mile, the milestone. You doing okay?
1: Yeah, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. Thanks yeah. for
0: seeing
1: it. I'm like, ah, because it gets hard. Like, like I had said earlier, you're like, how are you doing? And I'm like, you know how sometimes when people ask you how you're doing, it's like you just want to say back to them, I'd be doing fine if you didn't ask me how I was doing. And I was ready for this interview and everything, but at the same time, at the same time, I'm like, am I in, is my heart in my heart? You know what? My heart is in the right place. Sometimes this time of year, though, my head isn't always in the right place. And I say that because, you know, we, I think that as, as a whole, I mean, it's Christmas time and we have a lot going through our minds. We have lists of things to do, stuff we want to, for me, get my kids extra work shifts to do that. And then plus, you know, regular life on top of that. And it gets to be a lot and it can get really messy. And if it gets messy, then I I lose my spirit and, and I don't ever lose my heart, but sometimes my heart doesn't feel as whole. Does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense. And I appreciate you being raw, authentic, and honest of what this journey can look like. And what, what did you, let's talk about expectations for a second. What did you expect yourself to feel like? What did you expect to look like? And then what is it actually like?
1: All right. You, well, you dropped
0: gonna- some value bombs before I even hit the record button.
1: <laughs> so I had said, um, you know, I was saying, you know, this, I I do, I do this a lot, especially when I talk to girlfriends in the program. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't expect life to be like this. Now, my life is good. I have a job. I have kids. I have a, I have a home. I have, things are moving in the right direction. Again, if I sit with myself enough and decide to like go down that, I'm expecting at two years of sobriety to be top notch, have everything, like my expectations were, oh, everything's going to work out. I'm going to, my kids are going to be like wonderful people. They're not going to have any type of possible drinking problems, not to say they do, but my son just turned 21. I'm a little concerned, you know, like I thought that maybe I would have a house by now. I thought that maybe I would meet somebody by now, like, because I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing all the right things. I feel like I'm checking all the boxes at the same time. I'm like, I sit here and I'm like, huh. Well, where's I mean, I have half of my list. Where's that other half? And um, and then I start to get resentful. I'm like, God, did you forget about me? Where are we at here? And and I know that this is really a lot of self thinking. And they they you know that I've learned by working my program that I have to be careful about about that selfishness that I have and like thinking too hard about just me. Because if I think too hard about just me, then life doesn't look so great. But if I kind of just Focus on that love and what life has given me and what God has given me and what he's setting up. I mean, it looks a lot prettier if I decide to do it that way, but it's kind of it's a choice, Paul. And lately, every day I have to make like that choice to be to move forward instead of just kind of sit here and be resentful.
0: Well, Lisa, you said it looks a lot prettier. It feels a lot prettier. That's because it's you're more true to your authentic nature, the true self of what things really are. And imagine that also comes in a moment of stillness. And so this morning, Odette, who was interviewed on episode 231, and today... Uh, actually, uh, December eighteenth. So yesterday, this damn time zone's getting me big right, right. now. <laughs> she just hit one year of sobriety. So right now, I want to say congratulations to you. Oh, I think you two have the same sobriety date. Then you're no seventeenth again. Thank you, yep. time zone. Yeah, she sent me this meme that said it was by and it was by the 13th century Iranian Sufi mystic Rumi. It said, "We are constantly going through life looking for the crystal necklace that we are already wearing." and i had a day two days ago and i'm over five years away from alcohol lisa where i had to put myself on a bench and and say look paul do you see this 100 miles of of pure gold sand on either side and i was feeling lonely miss my dog i'm not gonna be home for the holidays which is the first one ever except when I own the bar in Spain, there was one Christmas um, where I painted the bar drinking for a whole Christmas day. I was in the bar drinking beer and painting it apart from that one. This is the first time I haven't been home. I've never been this far away from home and I was having a difficult day. And when I have difficult days, my mind is constantly searching for ways for me to mitigate the internal feelings of discomfort, which never exist in this moment right now, whether it's let's go do a yoga class. Let's go run to the beach. Let's go, let's go find a massage. Um let's go find a meeting, which are all infinitely better than drinking, but right. but it's the crystal necklace that we are already wearing. I simply sat on a bench and said, Look, Paul, just look where you are right now. Look at, at all the action you've taken in the past that allowed you to sit in this bench wearing a t-shirt. And sorry right now in America if you're listening, it's freezing effing cold right now. Montana got a little cold for me last year. Um I had some some health issues last year and it was a little cold and I knew I just needed to be in a different environment this year, so that's what I'm doing. And so Lisa, I appreciate your honesty, your authenticity, recognizing that. um, Number one, this journey is never going to look the way we think it's going to look. In fact, I highly discourage anybody saying, well look, when I I hit one year, or three months, or six months, or two years, this is what it's gonna look like because there's a saying in the rooms, Expectations our resentments waiting to happen and you've heard yeah. me say simply focus on the action and the results Whatever, they're just gonna come because it's not our job to figure out how it's going to look or even how it's going to happen But if we focus on just taking action, it, it solves itself every time and and so, and so Lisa before we hit the rapid-fire round um, What what's on your bucket list? What is something that you would like to tackle In this next two years or what is something that you feel your journey is is a direction your journey is pointing you to go down? But you're like, uh, uh, I don't think so. I'm not ready, but we both know you are
1: Right. Um, well, there's there's a few things I don't know how and I don't know and I don't know where and I don't know when but that's the beauty of the unknown Right. I know that I want to do some type of speaking for like younger women just like i don't know if it's going to be like motivational or even i talk to young women now in sobriety so maybe that's really what it is but like i just i love i love hugging on on younger women who are hurting because i was there and i was that woman and i just i want to i want to just help people like and i like i said i don't know where and i'm kind of doing that now in my with my group of people but then at meetings but so there's that i want to tackle and then I want I am going to go to in, tw- in 2020 I'm going to make it to the a trip later in the year um because my daughter is leaving for college in August so that opens up the months after August so that is another thing and then in the next two years I'd love to go on like a medical missions trip but like when I say a medical missions trip I mean like be gone for like a month and like be a nurse somewhere and like help people you know, with that, um, that's really where I'm at. I mean, I'd love to have, go on a nice vacation and and all that. I mean, but that can be with the Cafe re meetup. So you know that that's two at the same time. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was gonna say you should join us in October in Costa Rica, 8th to the 18th.
1: Okay, I didn't know if you yeah, so I wasn't sure of the date, and I I didn't want to screw up the destination, so I didn't say
0: it. <laughs> yeah, no, I just put it up on the website a couple of days ago. So okay, yeah, cool. we'd love to love to have you. Yeah, we have reached the rapid fire round, Lisa. If you can answer these questions within thirty seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. What's well, a light bulb moment you've had on this journey?
1: So a light bulb moment. There's a. There's been so many. I can't even really count. But you know what it is. My daughter. When one night we were, I was out having dinner with my son, and my daughter was. My daughter was working, and. I was having a mocktail, just like a club soda and cranberry, and my son lifted it up and he goes, hey, Julia, mom's drinking. And to see that drop in my daughter's face, that she that sheer look of fear in her eyes when she thought that I was having a drink, I was just like, that was like a light bulb moment where I was like, you know, my daughter has never said, like, this happened and this happened when you drank, mom. Like, she's always like, you were fine, mom, you were fine. But that look alone made me realize that it wasn't fine. You know, I have a reason to stay. I have many reasons to stay sober, but that look on her face just added to the list. So long answer, but yeah.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite alcohol free drink?
1: Oh, I just said it. It's a club soda with crayon and, um, a splash of lime.
0: So good. Yeah. You can't get any better than that. In my opinion,
1: it's simple. So, (laughs)
0: so simple. And what are some of your favorite resources?
1: Well, I told you, the first one, I listened to the podcast. I am really growing accustomed to the, the Cafe RE group. Sometimes I do really good with getting on there, and other times I don't get as good. But I've made connections with people in Minnesota. I ran into um, Zach. He's in my group. I ran into him at a bakery in Minneapolis. Oh, no way. And, yeah. And I I said hi to him and walked by him, like I because I thought I just knew him from a meeting. And he's And I stopped, and I looked at him, and he goes... Cafe R E and I'm oh, like oh, No
0: way. That's so cool. That? <laughs> yeah, Zach's um, a rock star.
1: Yeah, so it was so that was cool. And then um and then I go to I go to meetings, I sponsor a couple women and I you know what? If I if I'm asked to do something, I do it. As long as I can facilitate it. I mean I want yeah, if somebody needs help, I do my best to say yes.
0: And what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners?
1: You know what? I'm going to keep this simple. Don't take yourself so damn seriously.
0: Love it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might have a drinking problem if line. And I heard a good one earlier. It could be, you might have a drinking problem if you find yourself walking to Denny's in the middle of the night, in the middle of winter, the day before your sobriety date. What do you got?
1: Um, Yeah. With no jacket, by the way, no jacket that night. It gets better
0: or worse. However you skin it.
1: Yeah. Um, But you might be an alcoholic also if you are talking to the bartender whom you know is sober about how much you want to quit drinking at bar close when you are intoxicated.
0: Oh, I love it. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. I hope our paths cross again.
1: I hope so too. Thank you.
0: If you are searching for that one person that will change your life, take a look in the mirror. I'd like to thank the internet for this awesome meme. Eventually, the Superman or Superwoman strength is going to come from you. You are supported from all angles in life. Your family, loved ones, friends, nature, sunsets, myself, the podcast listeners. But you're the one that will be making this change. When will it be? When is the day the line of the sand isn't crossed? Let's go with right now. Recovery elevator, go big because eventually we all go home. I love you guys.